Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. As we were dealing with the first call, um, we still had the team in the field when uh, the second call came in. Now on the news hour, a series of slides in Sea to Sky Country leaves two skiers severely injured. Plus, New legislation coming to protect our kids from online predators. These predators are, especially online, can hide behind a computer screen. As the tragic case of an Okanagan woman murdered abroad hits a major streaming service. Also, this is one of the biggest rivalries I've had in a long, long time. A maddening game of man and mouse. This is where there was a big hole last time. The resident determined to catch the rodent running loose in his home. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with another harsh reminder of the dangers in the backcountry across the province right now. This weekend, three separate avalanches were triggered in the mountains around Pemberton, leaving two skiers severely injured. As Kristen Robinson reports, this latest trifecta of slides comes during an already deadly and dangerous season that has so far claimed a dozen lives. It's known as the road to adventure, but Pemberton's search and rescue says right now the best adventure may be one that doesn't begin here. You know, the conditions will be favorable again sometime, uh, but now is probably not the good time to go. Three avalanches came down between Pemberton and Lillooet Saturday, trapping two skiers in separate slides. His uh, mates had, uh, were able to uh, uh, locate him very quickly, um, unbury him, and uh, he was uh, alive and conscious. The second avalanche hit within two kilometers of the first. That skier also dug out by their ski partner. Both victims were airlifted to hospital with severe injuries, partially caused by contact with trees as they were buried. A third slide followed, but no one was caught up in it. If you're going to the backcountry, you need to pay attention to uh, avalanche uh, warnings. Avalanches have claimed 12 lives in B.C. so far this winter. Two Nelson police officers died after getting caught in a slide January 9th while skiing outside Caslow. On January 21st, a snowmobiler from Alberta died in a slide near Valemount. Days later, two Pennsylvania brothers were killed while heli-skiing south of Revelstoke. On February 11th, two people, including a search-and-rescue volunteer, died while backcountry skiing near Tatla Lake. Five days later, an avalanche near Golden killed two. And on March 1st, three German tourists were killed in a slide near Invermere while heli-skiing. March does tend to be our season where we do see a lot of uh, avalanche activity in the backcountry. With weather changing quickly, backcountry enthusiasts are urged to check avalanche.ca before heading out. The danger level near Pemberton still considerable. Fortunately, those caught up Saturday had personal protection gear including shovels. That probably saved these people's lives. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
Our CMP in Vanderhoof are the latest attachment to warn about an insidious sextortion scam, which often targets minors. Late last month, a local resident in the northern BC community reported a sextortion attempt. Our CMP say the victim sent intimate photos on a social media platform to someone they had only met online. An unknown man then began calling them, demanding money and threatening to release those photos to friends and family if the victim did not pay up. Sending money, RCMP say, is unlikely to stop the threats or the unwanted communication. Sextortion victims should immediately block the suspect on social media and call police. It's an increasingly frightening number of cases just like that one that is prompting new legislation to be introduced to hopefully better protect everyone, but most especially the young people in this province tomorrow. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on what we can expect with that proposed act that is set to hit the legislature tomorrow. Keith. Yeah, tomorrow afternoon, Attorney General Nikki Sharma will introduce a landmark piece of legislation, first of its kind in Canada, uh, called the Intimate Images Protection Act. Basically, it's not a criminal change because that's federal government purview, but the province has a, a, the power to change the civil penalty. So I don't have all the details, but I can tell you it will greatly give the power to people who don't want their images posted to demand that they uh, come down, and if not, will strengthen the ability of people to sue over the, the unwanted images uh, online. So again, pivotal legislation that happens tomorrow at 2.45. Uh, in attendance will be Carol Todd, the mother of, of course, of Amanda Todd, the founder of the Amanda Todd uh, uh, Legacy Society. Of course, Amanda Todd, the most high-profile victim of this terrible thing that's been going on for years now. So a uh, landmark piece of legislation, first of its kind in Canada, if not North America, will likely be carrying that live on BC1. Look for that tomorrow, approximately 2.45. Okay, more to come tomorrow. Keith Baldry, thanks so much. And BCRCMP are once again warning about another scam targeting our elderly population. The grandparent scam, which continues to victimize seniors. I'll have to go to the bank right away. Prince George RCMP are asking people to check in on their elderly relatives and neighbours after more reports of locals receiving bail money scam calls. Police are urging seniors to report such calls and get a second opinion before taking any money out of the bank. Meanwhile, Mission RCMP say an 86-year-old man was recently tricked into paying thousands of dollars, which he thought he needed to help his grandson. Vancouver police took to the streets last month to warn seniors and their loved ones about this scam after new victims reported losing tens of thousands of dollars. Scam attempts where no money is lost can be reported to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. Starting tomorrow night, Surrey taxpayers will begin to have their say on a surprising double-digit proposed tax hike, a large part of that increase being pinned on the city's ongoing policing fiasco. As Grace Key reports, both residents and those in the business community say it's up to council to lower that looming tax bill. There's a crane going up right there. There's another crane right there. There's a building going up right beside me. When Jennifer Hill looks out of her window, she sees nothing but new developments surrounding her Surrey neighbourhood. The city should be swimming in dollars from the new SFU buildings, the new construction, all the new apartments that have come in and people paying property taxes. Um, um, UBC is coming in. 
So it, it feels like a cash grab. That's why she was shocked to hear the proposed property tax increase. There's a $116 million shortfall with the policing transition process. The budget proposes a 9.5% general property tax increase for the next three years. That means the average single-family household can expect to pay $219 more next year. Add that to the 7% property tax increase already proposed for things like inflation, city operations, and hiring extra police officers. Add an extra 1% roads and traffic levy and your average Surrey home could see a 17.5% surge in property tax. The Surrey Board of Trade plans to present at a public hearing on Monday. It's worried about uncertain property taxes for businesses and believes more can be done with increasing revenue streams, such as allowing cannabis stores to operate in Surrey. But there's other private public sector partnerships uh, that the city could engage in as well and leveraging our global partners as well to invest in Surrey to really ensure we have that needed infrastructure. Jennifer heard about the proposed tax increase after witnessing this at the grocery store, a man shooting up in the parkade. The homeless are the people who have grown up and lived here all of their lives, and they deserve to have adequate housing. The people in um, in the community around them deserve to feel safe. The public will have the opportunity to speak at the Finance Committee meeting on Monday at 2 p.m. Grace Key, Global News. A vigil was held this afternoon to mark the anniversary of a tragedy. It has been 16 years since an awful crash that highlighted farm worker safety issues in this province. The service in Abbotsford honored Sarbjeet Kaur Sidhu, Amarjeet Bal, and Sukhvinder Punya. They were killed in 2007 while traveling to work in an overcrowded van when that vehicle crashed on Highway 1. No criminal charges were ever laid against the owners of the van, but the jury in a coroner's inquest into the tragedy made 18 recommendations to improve safety. The daughter of one of the victims says while some working conditions have improved since then, we still have a long way to go. There were a lot of safety measures implemented in the beginning um, when the tragedy did happen um, and that there were a lot of these rules, these safety checks happening, the stops on the highways and checking if it, the vehicles were safe or not. And I feel like over time we have kind of lost in touch with that. Um, over time it's, you know, people have stopped doing those safety checks. Since 2007 we've seen a lot of the unsafe vehicles being taken off the roads. Um, so in place of those white vans now, we see a lot of school buses transporting farm workers and every time I see that, it makes me incredibly happy. Um, but uh, I was also talking a lot before about precarious labour and us not giving them the respect that I feel like a lot of them do deserve. The event, which was hosted by the BC Federation of Labour, was followed by a walk to the nearby Golden Tree Monument, where a candlelit vigil was held. The family of a missing teenager is making a public and heart-wrenching plea for his safe return home. 14-year-old Joseph Chen, seen here, was last seen in the afternoon of Thursday, March 2nd, walking on the east side of the Alex Fraser Bridge towards Delta. He was last seen wearing a khaki-colored jacket and brown pajama pants with a teddy bear pattern on them. Chen is 5'6", with a slim build and shoulder-length black hair and brown eyes. His family is very concerned for his well-being, saying he has not used his credit or his compass card in a few days. He didn't use the credit card a few days yeah. and then cannot phone him, no, no message. 
and then the compass card didn't use it. Why now we are so worried about Joseph? Been like more than 60 hours. He's outside. We need to help. If you have any information on Joseph's whereabouts, please call RCMP. This year's homeless count is now underway in 11 communities across Metro Vancouver this week, giving aid groups and government a better estimate of how much more help is likely needed. The count will take place in shelters on Tuesday evening and on the streets all day on Wednesday. This will be the first homeless count since the beginning of the pandemic. It's believed the numbers will be higher this year due to the soaring cost of living and the impacts of inflation. We're refining this each and every year, and so we're, we're able to um, disaggregate the data and get a better sense of, of who, is, who is making up the homeless population in terms of their age, circumstances, uh, orientation, orientation, culture, situation in terms of how many years they've been in, in the Lower Mainland, how long they've been homeless. All these data points allow us to get a better understanding of, of, what, that, uh, of what homelessness uh, looks like. A 211 hotline will be set up on March 8th to self-report for those who reside in unique housing circumstances like vans, cars and boats. In Prince George, BCRCMP and ICBC have a new tool to fight distracted driving and it's not what you might expect. The new tool is a bus. Spotters on the bus identify motorists who are driving while distracted and pass that information on to a patrol officer. According to ICBC, 16 people in northern BC on average die from distracted related crashes every year. Cell phones are the main culprit, but anything that takes your focus off the road is ultimately considered distracted driving. We're always looking for unique ways to educate the public on staying um, alert and focused when you're out on the road. So um, we use the bus today. We're driving up and down Highway 97 uh, looking for distracted drivers. And then, of course, uh, the RCMP and TVSC were out there doing some enforcement today as well. Uh, so we had some spotters, uh, some citizens on patrol volunteers, uh, as well as myself on the bus. And the timing is fitting because March is ICBC's Distracted Driving Awareness Campaign Month. Next on the news hour, documenting a transnational tragedy. We thought England was safe. We, I had no idea. Murder didn't even cross my mind. The story of a young Okanagan woman murdered abroad goes mainstream on a major streaming service. Plus, we're coming together as a community, as women, as gender diverse people, as men, as allies to shine light on the issues. Recognizing intersectional issues ahead of International Women's Day, the message behind the march downtown today. That's after the break. The mother of a Vernon woman who was brutally murdered by her boyfriend last year is speaking publicly tonight on the heels of a chilling documentary released overseas highlighting her own daughter's tragic case. Jaden Wozni reports on how Ashley Wadsworth's story will hopefully help keep others safe. Ashley first met... Jack, as I understand it, on the Facebook. So they were just friends at first. A documentary just aired in the United Kingdom, focusing on the relationship between a young Vernon woman, Ashley Wadsworth, and her boyfriend, who is now in prison for murder. Her mother, Christy Gendron, was one of the first people to see the film and says it was difficult to watch. It was really, really hard just to watch. There was some stuff in it that I hadn't seen yet until then, that the police had released, um them working on Ashley in the yard, the police arresting him and his interview. 
Wadsworth traveled to England last year to meet with her boyfriend, Jack Seppel, who she met online. The 19-year-old Vernon woman was strangled and stabbed nearly 100 times by Seppel, who is serving a life sentence after admitting to the murder. Gendron says there were a number of warning signs at the time, but she didn't recognize them. Just hearing from her less, hearing from her sister that maybe things weren't as good and then bringing it up to her and her shooting that down and saying, no, we're fine and I'm not going to talk to you anymore, you know, because she loved him. Um, Love at 19 especially is very blind. As heart-wrenching as it was for Gendron to watch the documentary, she hopes it will help others see the signs of toxic relationships and domestic violence. There's a huge message here and it's to spread awareness because these predators are, especially online, can hide behind a computer screen. And even if you've known him for years like we did, we thought England was safe. We, I had no idea. Murder didn't even cross my mind. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there are a number of resources in the Okanagan, including the Kelowna Women's Shelter, which offers 24-7 phone support, a website that allows you to discreetly exit the page, and housing for women and children in need of a safe place. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. A youth has now been charged in the death of a Chetwind woman earlier this week. The RCMP's North District Major Crime Unit is investigating after the body of a 57-year-old victim was found inside a home on Monday. A minor who cannot be identified was taken into custody and has since been charged with second-degree murder. Investigators are working to determine any sort of motive in this case, but believe this was an isolated incident. They are also working closely with the local school district. Vancouver's first International Women's Day March took place this afternoon in front of the art gallery. Hey, I'm out of breath. Sorry, guys. One second. <laughs> the Global Day officially takes place on Wednesday, and today's march is in honor of the upcoming celebration. A group of Simon Fraser University students and alumni organized today's event to help amplify women's voices. Today's march recognized the achievements of women around the world. Organizers also raised awareness about gender-based inequality and the struggles that women face in countries around the world. Today it is really important for me to hear because I'm from Turkey and in Turkey especially it's really hard to be a woman as like rest of the world but especially in my country because uh, our rights are not defended by the government or the, any other people and if you want to march in there it's really hard because we always have like a police violence. This year's Women's Day has its own theme, Embracing Equity. Next on the news hour, a sobering reality. That means that numerous intoxicated persons will, who are not facing criminal charges will be held for extended periods of time in police cells. The safe space to sober up in a major BC city delayed indefinitely the broken promise and what it means for patients. Plus, she started off with two hand shooting and zero fundamentals and now she's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen in high school basketball. An inspiring sister act meet the high school hoop stars side by side as a major setback turned into a championship comeback. That's coming up later in the show. Stay with us. Well, Prince George has been waiting years now for its own sobering center, which is exactly what the name implies, a safe space for those who need it to sober up. But as Caden Fanshawe of CKPG News reports, they are still waiting with no clear timeline on when the building's doors will actually open. Hopes were high back in June of last year 
when the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions rolled into town to announce a new sobering center for Prince George. To stand here and feel that it's going to be ready to receive people who need care months from now, this feels great. Unfortunately, though, things haven't gone so great. It'll be more like a year by the time patients actually arrive here, an opening delayed by over nine months and possibly even more. In a statement, Northern Health said, at this time, we are still in the procurement process as the initial expression of interest to find an operator resulted in higher than anticipated responses, requiring a subsequent RFP process to evaluate those proponents. That process expected to be done by April. Well, I think announcements are one thing. I think delivering and providing results for British Columbians is what matters here. And, you know, you can continue to make announcements about adding money. What matters is are we making a difference in people's lives? Northern Health says it's committed to getting this up and running as quickly as possible. Unfortunately for many groups, including the local RCMP, the waiting is getting old. Citing a recent coroner's inquest reaffirming the urgent need. Until one is opened, that means that numerous intoxicated persons will, who are not facing criminal charges will be held for extended periods of time in police cells um, until they are sober and able to care for themselves. These persons truly should be under the care and supervision of trained medical service providers and not police and civilian guards. Even though 10 beds will alleviate some pressure, there is hope that the latest budget from the B.C. government will deliver more beds locally as well. When that will happen, though, very much a question mark. Caden Fanshawe, CKPG News. Almost a month after Legion Veterans Village opened in Surrey, the groundbreaking facility is getting a financial boost. The Legion's BC and Yukon Command has donated $1 million to the nonprofit's foundation to help fund more clinical programs and health tech innovations. The $312 million social infrastructure project includes a center for veteran and first responder health, a new Wally Legion, and dozens of affordable housing units. It was inspired by Army Reserve Captain Trevor Green, who survived an axe attack during a tour of duty in Afghanistan. The foundation is also embarking on a $10 million fundraising campaign to enable more research. A reminder now that daylight saving time begins next weekend. Clocks will be jumping forward one hour at 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, March 12th in most parts of the province, meaning you will lose an hour of sleep. And this change can have major impacts on all of us with research showing in the week after daylight savings begins, there's an increased risk of car accidents, heart attacks and strokes. Coming up, we head to where the party's at this weekend at BC Place. It's been a fantastic weekend. Uh, we've had close to 60,000 people over all three days. Come for the scrums and stay for the good times. The competition, the camaraderie and the costumes at the Rugby 7 Series will take you there after the break. You're watching Global BC. Welcome back. Let's take a look at what we can expect in the weather forecast this week with Peter Quinlan in for Avon Shell tonight with the odds we could see snow as we enter this second week of March. 
Oh, the question on everyone's minds, isn't it, Sarah? Well, I think it'll depend on exactly where you are as to whether you see snow or rain. Of course, the sun just set. Uh, temperatures tonight are creeping down, and I think your usual culprits, uh, SFU, Westwood Plateau, higher elevation areas along the North Shore Mountains, West and North Van, we have that uh, potential for some wet snow mixing in as temperatures fall to plus one tonight. Uh, we had some fresh snow at Big White and also at Whistler today. Uh, Apex recording 26 centimeters of fresh powder. Lots of people getting out to enjoy that. This is the amount of snow that's on the ground right now. Uh, Orchid Lake on the North Shore, we now have almost four meters of snow on the ground there. Whistler, 233 centimeters. Cypress, 373 centimeter base. Uh, Mount Washington, over 200 centimeter base. Does that get you excited for hitting the slopes? Well, if you have tomorrow off, you'll need to dress warmly if you're heading to Big White or Silver Star. Minus teens, but because of the wind chill your body creates, could feel more like the minus 20s. Revy could get up to 3 degrees tomorrow afternoon. We are tracking this area of low pressure. It's a slow churning system. And as you can see today, temperatures, a push of warmth out ahead of that, pushing temperatures to 8 degrees for highs in Metro Vancouver and Victoria. Meantime, north coast inland sections, we're talking Kitimat Terrace, minus 20 morning lows for the next two days an Arctic outflow warning as this Arctic front dams up the cold air against the Rockies. Meantime, this slow-moving, churning, low-pressure system continuing to bring wave after wave of moisture, likely falling as showers, uh, but that could switch over to flurries into how sound. Squamish potentially even seeing some of that wet snow in the morning. Then tomorrow afternoon, we could start to see those blue breaks return that may stick around into your Tuesday, too. Uh, I think we'll see a few waves of moisture potentially overnight. But it's back to the books tomorrow. We'll see those temperatures sliding up the scale to about 8 degrees after that chance of morning sprinkles. Through the north, could see up to 4 to 6 centimeters of snow by tomorrow night in Whitehorse. 3 degrees Bella Coola. Castlegar to 5 into the Okanagan, 4 or 5 degrees. Onto the island, mid-single digits, that chance of showers. And for the lower mainland, we're looking at 7s closer to the water, moving into the Fraser Valley, 8 or 9 degrees. And here's your Metro Vancouver 5-day forecast. A little sunnier possible on Tuesday than that chance of showers returns. Could it 9 on Thursday? But Sarah, you'll be happy that I've kept the flurries out of this forecast. Must be because of the eights. I hope you like eights. They're a lucky number, aren't they? A very lucky number. Thanks so much, Peter. The party was in downtown Vancouver this weekend. If you are a sports buff, the return of the Rugby 7 Series to BC Place attracted tens of thousands of costume fans and a much-needed boost to our tourism sector. Julia Foy was there. They brought their own drums and flags. They brought their own dance moves. They even brought their own superheroes. We're fighting crime and staying sober. Which means the Canada Rugby Sevens are in town. It's been a fantastic weekend. Uh, we've had close to 60,000 people over all three days. We had a sold out day with 24,000 people in there yesterday. Thousands of rugby fans, young and old, came to cheer on teams from around the world. We beat New Zealand yesterday, so I'm pretty fantastically happy. Who are you cheering for today? Fiji. That's what everybody's here for, is, is Canada. For the first time at HSBC Canada 7s, men and women's teams both played matches every day.
16 of the best men's teams and 12 of the best women's teams in the world competing here. Experts say rugby fever also brings a big lift to the Vancouver tourism industry. But we're looking at close to, to 15.9 million in direct economic impact, almost 24 million in indirect impact. So it's great for the city. Uh, 2023 is going to be our full year, full first year that we'll have tourism back. Organizers are hoping the city will secure the Canada Seven Games for the next three years. And this crowd sounds like they're up for it too. Julia Foy, Global News. Okay, always <laughs> so much fun. I'm sad to be missing out on it this year. Yeah, it's great fun. Mm -hmm. You know, a few years ago, they actually ran out of beer at BC Place. <laughs> and the organizers promised me this year, I was there Friday, they said, that, that's not going to happen this year. They learned their lesson <laughs> they once. Were and ready, believe me, as you can tell. They go through some. <laughs> But, well, actually, uh, Canadian women were uh, playing mm -hmm. again today, and the men, but the women. It's been a real breakout weekend for them, so we'll show you some highlights of that coming up. We'll recap another uh, real tough loss for the Whitecaps from last night. And we have a great story on uh, the Hart Sisters, yeah. basketball players from Riverside and Port Coquitlam. Got a chance to follow them this weekend. Wild ride, not only uh, all season for them, but this weekend, and we'll have their story coming up. Okay, it's a great story. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to that. Thanks so much, Barry. Coming up, campaigning for a little more kindness. And I just saw how badly people are hurting, how many people are depressed, how many people are dealing with addictions and different things. There goes Brock Tully riding across North America again. The anti-bullying advocate taking his message from the streets to the silver screen. That's after the break. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. For decades, author and motivational speaker Brock Tully has promoted kindness and discouraged bullying to anyone who listen. And as a new documentary shows in stark detail, Tully's message is needed now more than ever. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. For the last 50 years, Brock Tully has been on the same campaign promoting anti-bullying. A new documentary chronicles his life work, including several epic bike rides around North America to spread the message. And I just saw how badly people are hurting, how many people are depressed, how many people are dealing with addictions and different things. There goes Brock Tully riding across North America again. Tully's journey encouraging kindness has attracted a lot of media attention over the years. He's written a series of books and given talks at schools. I really like that presentation. Oh, thanks a lot. I could speak to an assembly of 600 kids and I could say, how many of you have been bullied? And every hand will go up. Then we'll have something like Pink Shirt Day and uh, the whole school's behind them. He even created a concert series. I did a World Kindness concert for 12 years in Vancouver and all the top performers all gave their time because they liked what I was doing around preventing bullying. At 76, his campaign continues passing out inspirational messages around Vancouver. Everybody almost says, wow, thanks for doing this. We really need this. Seeing the new film for the first time reminded Tully that he still has a lot of work ahead of him. I wasn't sure up to a little while ago, but now um, I really want to do that. I hope as long as I'm here, I keep going, you know, like, it's just so important. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone with a great story to tell or something you need to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca.
Coming up, Barry's back with sports, plus a frustrating game of cats and mouse. These wireless cameras that you usually use for security, well, I set it up for tracking this mouse. It's like a little sting operation. Or more accurately, man and mouse meet the Vancouver resident determined to catch a rodent running loose. That's coming up after sports. Get inspired in the BC Home and Garden Show. Bring your home and outdoor renovation ideas to life with trusted experts ready to help you. Whether it's a DIY project or a full renovation, discover new ideas and inspiration for all your home projects. Don't miss Depeche Mode coming to Rogers Arena. See the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees as they embark on their Memento Mori tour ahead of their forthcoming album. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Welcome back. Barry's back. We'll get mm -hmm. to sevens in a moment, but first, Whitecaps. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, been a bit of a deja vu, but not in a good way kind of start mm -hmm. for the uh, Whitecaps. Thanks, Sarah. The uh, Whitecaps missed the playoffs, of course, last year because they had that dreadful start, won just one of their first eight. They did everything they could in preseason to prevent that from happening this year, and they actually looked really in good form. But after two matches... They're 0-2 and digging another hole for themselves. Last night in San Jose, they repeated the performance of their season opener. They were great in the first half, but conceded two quick goals in the second half and lost 2-1. Here's Vanny on the bad case of deja vu. I think that uh, we deserve to tie, but uh, it looks like, um, uh, you know, we need to be better because, you know, if we deserve to win last time and we lost, if we deserve to tie today and we lost, uh, it, uh, they say three, three coincidences make a clue. I think that let's make it two and, and, uh, and stop it and start making points from Wednesday. I, mean, I think we're maybe just not clinical enough. Um, you know, and, and especially on the road where you maybe don't get as many chances um, as we did last week. Um, certainly got to capitalize, you know, when you get them. And <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of just comes down to being being ruthless and clinical and having that final final quality that maybe we are lacking at the moment a little bit, unfortunately. All right, HSBC Rugby from BC Place. Canada's women in the fifth-place semifinal versus Ireland this morning. The Irish hammered Canada 28-7 in the tournament opener back on Friday, but these Canadian women have really played well. Olivia Apps takes it in, 12-7 Canada at the half. It's a rebuilding time for the Canadian women. Well, they had some growth this weekend. Fancy Bermuda Chavez with a great move rumbles in for her. One of her two tries, and Canada with a big win, 24-12 over Ireland. So that set up the fifth-place match with Fiji. First half, Canada was down five, but they respond. It's Bianca Farella. She's from Montreal but lives in Victoria now, and she's off to the races. How great is this? Flashes the million-dollar smile as she's making her way for the score. She knew she was going in, 7-5 Canada. Second half, Canada trailed by 12 at one point, but they rally. Great tackle here forces the turnover, and it's a quick pickup and go by Kiara Wardley. And she's off to the races. BC Place really rocking. Canada ties it at 17, but they did not have an answer for Fijian superstar Riapi Ulu Nisau. She had all four tries for Fiji, including this one in the final minute. Canada settles for sixth, their best performance of the year. What a great tournament for our women. New Zealand won the Women's Cup final over 
Australia. Now, the Canadian men were a bit unlucky not to make the cup quarters yesterday. They were 2-1, and one, but they fell short on point differential, taking on South Africa today in 13th place semi. Jake Teal of Abbotsford takes it in, tied it at 14, but South Africa took it from there, went on to win 31-14. Canada ends up 15th, but still had some bright moments. Argentina and France playing in the men's cup final now. It's 21-19 France, very late in the second half. The Canucks are back at it tomorrow night against Nashville at Rogers Arena. 7.30 face-off time. Canucks rode a 37-save effort from Thatcher Demko to a 4-1 win over the Leafs last night. The Predators are chasing a playoff spot in the West, but if Demko keeps his form and plays like he did yesterday, the Canucks are going to be tough to beat. NHL today, Jonathan Quick making his Golden Knight debut against the Habs. He played 15 years, 743 games, all for L.A. before being dealt this week to Columbus, and then they flipped him to Vegas. Aldergrove Shea Theodore with his seventh gave Vegas a 2-0 lead. Golden Knights were up 4-1 in the third, but the Habs made it interesting. Nick Suzuki to Raphael Harvey Pinard passed Quick, but Vegas hang on 4-3. They now lead the Western Conference with 82 points. Tokyo Marathon, Campbell Rivers, Cam Levins had a record-setting days. On the left, Levins was leading the race with 5Ks to go, stayed at the front of the pack right up until the final kilometer, but he ended up fifth. The 33-year-old posted two hours, five minutes, 36 seconds. That is so fast. Shattered the Canadian marathon record by over two minutes. Also the fastest North American time ever ran. Nipped that one by two seconds. He now has four of the six fastest Canadian marathon times in history. Final round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational from Bay Hill in Orlando. Rory McIlroy, who won this tournament in 2018, Takes the lead after draining this 20-footer for birdie at the 13th. Rory would post minus eight. There was a four-way tie at the top late until Kurt Kitayama sinks the birdie at the 17th. And Kitayama would hold on for a one-shot victory, his first ever on the PGA Tour. Corey Connors tied 21st. Surrey's Adam Svensson tied 24th. Next week, it's the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. Breyer from London, Ontario. BC represented by a young rink out of the Victoria Curling Club, skipped by 24-year-old Jacques Gauthier. BC led 6-1 in this game at one point, but they were down one in the 10th, needed full 8-foot to send this to an extra end, but Gauthier is heavy. Steal a 1, BC lose 10-8. They drop to 0-2, and they play the always tough Brendan Botcher of Edmonton tomorrow. He leads the Breyer at 3-0. Bahrain Grand Prix, Max Verstappen on the pole. His Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez Joining him on the front row, the driver of the day, the author up by Aston Martin's Fernando Alonso, passes Lewis Hamilton to finish third. Uh, Montreal's Lance Stroll was sixth, despite uh, his broken wrist, broken toe after he had his uh, accident. Max Verstappen uncontested for the checkered flag. He wins in Bahrain. Teammate Sergio Perez was second. English Premiership, Manchester United having a, a very good season at Anfield to play Liverpool. It was a good season until today. This was shocking. Darwin Nunez with the header gave Liverpool a 2-0 lead early second half, but then the floodgates opened. Now 3-0. Mosala wide open in the box, punishes, slams it to the roof, 4-0. United seemed to kind of quit on this one, and Liverpool were more than happy to pile it on. Salah with a second. 7-0 the final. Man United's worst loss in 92 years. They remain third. Liverpool climb to fifth.
The Provincial Girls Basketball Championships concluded last night in Langley with the Riverside Rapids out of Port Coquitlam capturing the 4A title. Now two of their key players are sisters, Alexis and Georgia Hart. The sisters' basketball journey this year definitely required seat belts. It was up and down, side to side, laughter and tears, but that wild ride couldn't have ended any better. For the Hart sisters, just walking onto the basketball court together to play in the provincial tournament is a special moment. 17-year-old Alexis and 15-year-old Georgia have taken much different paths to get to this moment. Georgia didn't even start playing basketball until four years ago. She was a soccer star. But hanging around a basketball family and the promise of new court shoes from her parents convinced her to try it, and she was a natural. Honestly, just athleticism has gotten me a long way, and then I've been playing up, so with older girls, and my skill has just been able to advance pretty fast. She started off with uh, two hand shooting and zero fundamentals, and now she's one, uh, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen in high school basketball. She became so good so fast, she actually became a starter, bumping her older sister to the bench. Alexis, true to her nature, was awesome about it, so it made life easy. And that great positive attitude would come in handy earlier this season when Alexis had not one, but two serious knee injuries, an MCL sprain in the preseason that she did recover from, but soon after, she tore her ACL. Disastrous for a basketball player. That meant season, and for the grade 12 student, high school career finished. I mean, I remember she went down in that game and I carried her off the court, like wondering if she'd ever get back on the court again. And that was a rough night. And the night she got hurt, like everyone was wondering, oh, it's not that bad. And I've been around for lots of ACLs, unfortunately. And I cried all the way home. Like, <laughs> I'm an emotional guy. And, and, and her grade 12 year, all of those different things. And you do get attached to the kids and the family. Bring the energy on the back side of the court. Let's go. But there was an alternative. Hold off on the surgery in the nine-month rehab and play with a brace. Her mobility wasn't great, but at least she could play in the provincials one last time. Not many girls can say that when they tear their ACL, they get back to playing, and I'm very happy with how this turned out. I was so honestly happy that yesterday I got to play in the provincials. I got 11 points, and I was fine with that. Like, I'm very proud of myself. But sports and life can be cruel, and in her next game, the quarterfinals proved to be her last. I went for the rebound, and I just did a normal step, and I tweaked something in my knee, and I heard a crunch, but... I got the rebound and I let them hit a shot, so, and they got, and they drained the three, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> I'm a little torn, yeah, obviously, but I can't do much, but I, I was, I'm glad I could at least do something when I was on instead of just hurting myself and not being able to contribute. But the story doesn't end there. Riverside advanced to the championship game, and with Alexis cheering hard from the bench with her crutches, she watched her little sister and teammates win Riverside's first ever provincial title. After all that heartbreak, pure joy. I never expected myself to be in this position, but I'm really glad I could sit and support uh, my team from the bench.
Isn't that awesome? That is such a great story. <laughs> There's nothing quite as heartbreaking and exciting and emotional as high school basketball. You can't make that up. And I, I, Paul Langford, <laughs> their coach, who's very emotional, he's been coaching them for 20 years, four times in the finals, and they finally won. So good for him. That too. is awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Coming up, the rodent that wouldn't quit a story a lot of us can relate to. <laughs> oh, yeah, around here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's after the break. Stay with us. <laughs> One-third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. It is the mouse somewhere in the house that has captured the attention in the hearts of a legion of online fans. Jasmine Bala now with the story of a maddening game of man and mouse. There's one question at the heart of this story. How did this mouse get into this house? This is one of the biggest rivalries I've had in a long, long time. This tale begins back in November when Andy Barrar noticed something missing from his kitchen. You can see right there, there was a hole in my bread loaf and I wanted to understand what was going on. So he set up a sting operation using a wireless security camera and caught the thief on video. Sure enough, there was a mouse coming in at nighttime when I was sleeping and it was eating my bread. It was on, you know, it was the big rivalry. Man versus mouse. And man made the next move. Andy searched for possible entryways into the kitchen and found a hole behind the dishwasher. He patched it up with some steel wool and insulation foam. And that was that. And then the mouse was gone. And I thought the problem was over. But he was wrong. Three months later, it was back for more. I did some forensic analysis of the video and I determined based on the tail, it was the same mouse. I even named him Jerry after the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Thus began round two. Andy once again began searching for holes. He found one and filled it in. More cameras were set up. But Jerry was a formidable opponent, unrelenting. I ripped out everything to find this hole. And it revealed another hole underneath Andy's cabinets. Again, he patched it up. And then I made some little mouse dessert, which is little peanut butter on bread. The trap was set and it was time for the final showdown. But his opponent never showed. He gets to live and I get to eat, eat my bread in, in peace. But this problem is solved. A hard-earned victory for man, at least for now. Jasmine Bala, Global News. <laughs> okay, first of all, gross, but mm -hmm. also we can relate to that as well yeah. at home. And yeah, yeah. so well, we've all been it would that. be great if our mice, when they <laughs> walked around, they had that cute little music because then you'd know where they were. And also the mouse is alive still, we have confirmed. Okay. So it may be back. Stay right. tuned. That's Part all for two. us this evening. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here at 11 o'clock. See you then. The sequel's coming. <laughs>